right. Anyone besides me love Christmas carols? Yeah. That was a resounding response. Wow. Good. I do too. I'm looking forward to our uh, time of singing Christmas carols tonight. I love Christmas. I love Christmas carols. I love singing all of the great songs that we sing at Christmas time. But we're going to do that again this evening. Do you, do you like walking through the mall and hearing Christmas carols being sung and played or listening to them on the radio? Um, one of the things that always strikes me is I'm, especially, I'm not a big mall person. I try to avoid those places like to play. But uh, in the past, when I've walked through a mall and listened to Christmas carols or been in different groups where carols were being sung, one of the things I've always, it's always kind of been an issue for me, and maybe this is just because I'm a words person, not a numbers person, but I always wonder, do people really pay attention to the words in the songs that we're singing at Christmas time? Do they really pay attention to the words? Do they really understand what those Christmas carols are saying? Now, I'm not talking about Jingle Bells and White Christmas. I'm talking, I'm talking about songs like we, we sang this morning, and Davey left the sheet of music behind that I wanted to, that I wanted to pick up again. Uh, the words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, you know, it talks about peace and mercy and all that good stuff. Uh, it just, the words. Uh, how, how does the average person who's not a follower of Jesus sing words like, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. How does a non-believer sing those words? No understanding. When I sang in choir in high school at Brethren High, Carlita Hutton was our choir director, just a wonderful, godly woman, wonderful musician. And one of the things that she stressed a lot with us in the songs that we sang was what do the words mean? What is this song saying? Let's pay attention and talk about it. And so she would spend time with us talking about the words of the songs that we were preparing to sing. And every once in a while, she chose songs for us for competition that were in Latin or German or some other language. And again, she would translate those. We would talk about what they meant. Words mean something, don't they? Yes. Words mean something. And they're worth paying attention to. And I oftentimes struggle with how non-believers participate in singing these great, great songs. I have a wonderful, wonderful niece she graduated from UC Irvine with a degree in theater arts performance. She has a wonderful soprano voice. And uh, she works for the American Cancer Society. But on the weekends, on Saturdays, she's the cantor at the uh, Jewish synagogue. And she sings and is the cantor for them on the Sabbath. And then on Sunday, she's at the Catholic Church uh, leading the choir and singing there. And so she has a wonderful, wonderful soprano voice. And when we get together as a family to celebrate Christmas, Shannon is oftentimes asked to sing the classic Oh Holy Night. And others of us will sing along, but she's kind of the lead voice. And every single Christmas when we're together, I just kind of shake my head. How can Shannon sing this song and not know Jesus? How can she not know Jesus and sing the words of this song? We need to pay attention uh, to the words of the song. And the song that we just sang, O Little Town of Bethlehem, is a fascinating song. And if you picked up the bulletin with the uh, words to the song in it, you'll, you'll find the words, I think Dave has these, he's going to put up on the screen too for the benefit of those that don't have this in their hands. 
But I want you to pay attention. Pay attention to these words. Because this is a powerful song. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the backstory of this song in a minute. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth. And praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. What's the message of those words? What's he telling us? What's the author of these words telling us? What's anything strike you in these words is just like a bold declaration? These are powerful, powerful words. They really, really are. And I want you to think about uh, these words this morning. I don't know everything that was going through the heart and mind of the author of these words. But Philip Brooks, who wrote the the words to this uh, Christmas carol, was an Episcopal priest back in the mid-1800s. In 1865, he spent three months in Israel around the Christmas season. And on Christmas Eve, he was invited to participate in a Christmas Eve service at the Church of the Nativity. Where, as Maggie said, uh, they have built a shrine, and the belief is that this might possibly, it's a spot in Bethlehem, so it's like any other spot, it could be the place where Jesus was born. But Philip Brooks rode from the six miles from uh, Jerusalem to Bethlehem on horseback and participated in a five-hour Christmas Eve service. And as a consequence of that experience and those three months in Israel, he wrote the words to this uh, song. And then three years later, he gave the words, the poem he had written to the church organist. And on Christmas Eve in 1868, the Children's Sunday School Choir sang this song for the first time. And so the, the backstory of this, it's helpful to know a little bit about Jerusalem. And I've got some pictures for you I want you to see um, this morning. Most of you probably are familiar with basic geography of uh, where uh, Bethlehem is. This map's too small, but the red arrow points you to Bethlehem. And the next map is a little bit smaller one, so you can see that uh, Bethlehem is just a little... There it is. So Bethlehem is just a little bit south of Jerusalem, about five and a half, six miles, something like that. And if you were to go to um, Bethlehem today, you would see a fairly modern city by Middle Eastern standards. You'll see the next slide, David, is up there. Um, Bethlehem today has a population of 27,000 people. It's estimated at the time of Christ, it had 2,000 people, probably approximately 300 homes. Um, usually the homes were one room, 
sometimes dug out of the side of the hill or the cave. But uh, that's the city of Bethlehem uh, today. And then if you were to go, as Maggie just said, and go visit the, uh, the place where the manger is, you go to what's called Manger Square, and that's our next picture. And you see all the way in the back, there's a little black rectangle under that uh, red arrow. And that black rectangle is the entrance. How many of you have been there, by the way? I had my back turned when Maggie asked that question. So I thought David and Sandy had been there. Not yet. Huh? So you get her on the plane to fly that far anymore. She'll cruise but not fly. <laughs> oh, well. But if you were to go there, this is the entrance to the shrine that's been built. And I've read somewhere that the doorway is really short. It's only about four and a half to five feet tall. It's been, I haven't been there since 68 or, or sorry, 78, 79. So my memory's a little fuzzy. Maggie's was there when she was a kid, so she probably doesn't remember either how big the doorway was. But my understanding is the doorway was built very small because they were concerned about uh, marauders coming in on horseback and coming in and destroying the shrine. And so by building a low doorway. Uh, and so if you go through that doorway, this is what you see inside the, what's called the Church of the Nativity, this shrine that has been built. And again, this is where tradition or whatever, I doubt that it's seriously the place where Jesus was born. And then in the very center of the floor, you'll see this starlight uh, object that's supposed to mark the spot where Jesus was born. And so Philip Brooks, who wrote the words of this song, would have visited the Church of the Nativity back in the mid-1800s. And out of his experience, he wrote the words, O little town of Bethlehem. And I want you to think about um, these words this morning. Maggie mentioned in Micah chapter 5 is where the scriptures tell us where the Messiah was supposed to be born. Uh, The prophet Micah wrote his little seven chapter book and if you were to go try to find Micah in your Old Testament, you got to go Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, and Micah, right? Okay, so I'm just trying to help you find it. It's, it's back there somewhere. But Micah's seven chapters are fascinating, um, fascinating prophecy in that the first, the first couple of chapters is a message of warning. Judgment is coming. And then and each, he's got three sermons, if you will, and each one is introduced with the word here. Here now, hear this. The first is a message of judgment. Judgment is coming. The second is a message of hope. The deliverer is coming, which is where we're going to settle here in a minute in chapter 5, giving you a little more time to find it, right? And then the, the third message, judgment's coming, deliverer's coming, and then the third message is trust in God now. And as I was reflecting on that simple outline of Micah this week, I thought, you know, I wonder if that isn't a good, a good theme for us today in 2020. Judgment is coming, but there's a deliverer, there's hope. Uh, trust God now. It's always a good plan to trust God now, right? Yeah. Always a good plan to trust God now. And so in Micah chapter 5, it says this, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. 
And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. And so, it's fascinating that it says of Bethlehem, too little, too small. You see, when when the Israelites went into the land under Joshua, and even before that, the twelve tribes were divided by thousands. And so each tribe would have groups of thousands, and each of those thousands had a leader, a captain, usually a military leader. But if your clan or your city or your group was too small, you had to be joined together with somebody else. And so Bethlehem was so small, so insignificant, that they, they weren't even, they, they're not listed because they're belonged together with somebody else. So small, so little, so insignificant. It's kind of like today. Here we have Los Angeles, a city of 4 million people. We have cities like Long Beach that are 450, 500,000 people. We have cities like Norwalk that are 105,000 people. And then tucked in, we have little places like Santa Fe, Santa Fe Springs. Anybody live in Santa Fe Springs? 16,000. Little, little tiny city kind of tucked in there. And then there's this other little city that I thought went away decades ago. It sits right over here. It's surrounded on three sides by Cerritos and on the north by Norwalk. And I thought it didn't exist anymore until I was on a bike ride the other day about six weeks ago. And I was riding north on Pioneer. And all of a sudden, Artesia City Hall. Artesia still exists. Did you know that? 16,000 people. That's it. Just a little city tucked away, hidden there. That's kind of Bethlehem. Just this little, insignificant, small population, poor people. And this was the city that Philip Brooks wrote about when he wrote his, his Christmas carol, A Little Town of Bethlehem. And there's, there's kind of three ideas. There's a bunch of ideas in this song that I really love. But there's three ideas I want you to think about this morning. And the first idea is this. The people in Bethlehem were totally unaware of what was taking place. Totally clueless that the eternal creator God is invading the planet in the person of a baby. The city of Bethlehem, totally unaware. Totally not knowing. And as he writes his, as he writes his song, he says things like this. Uh, How still we see thee lie, deep and dreamless sleep. Dark streets shining. They are asleep, unaware of what God is up to. Does that sound familiar to you? You and I live in a world today that is unaware, uninformed, desperately in need of being aware, right? Yeah. And um, I, you know, Maggie was introducing the song and talking about you know people are coming for the census and there's activity, but I think now it's it's nighttime and people are asleep. It's quiet. 
they're unaware. And I, as I was reflecting on the words of this song and thinking about this little town, insignificant town, off in the country, unaware of what God is up to. Totally unaware. Just like the world in which you and I live today. Singing the Christmas carols, celebrating Christmas, and not really getting it. Not really getting it. He wrote well. Asleep, unaware. Um, history was being made. Prophecy was being fulfilled. You think of all the things that are taking place in that moment of time when Jesus was born. Totally unaware. I think the atmosphere would have been a little different that night if the uh, Bethlehem Dodgers had just defeated the Jerusalem Juggernauts in the Israel World Series. Um, <laughs> You know, there, you know, you think there would have been celebration going on, you know, whatever other events. But here's this history-making event, prophecy being fulfilled, and people are unaware, totally unaware. You know, the prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 14, Thou hope of Israel, its Savior in time of distress. Jeremiah 17, he says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake thee, will be put to shame. And Philip Brooks wrote about the hope of Israel. There's that phrase in there. The hopes and fears of all the years are what? Met in thee tonight. And so there's this, there's this balance going on. There's the hopes of a promised Messiah, a promised deliverer, the hopes of a better future, and that's matched on the other side with the fears they had about the domination of, of Rome, the Roman rulers. Uh, they, it, these things kind of clash together. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. But people are unaware. Right I just think you and I live in the same kind of context, the same kind of environment where people are unaware that God is at work, that God has a plan. Um, and as I was thinking about this, I was reminded that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. You know, we have an enemy, don't we? Yeah. We do. We have an enemy. And I think here's all these wonderful Christmas carols with all these wonderful words and people don't see it. People don't get it. What's needed today is the same thing that was needed then. Because in addition to the fact that the people were unaware, the second thought that impressed me in the words of this, this Christmas carol is the fact that someone was needed to proclaim the truth, to proclaim the message. And so in the words of this song, who's proclaiming the message? The angels first, and then the shepherds, yes. And so there's this, there's this angelic theme that runs through his, his song. He says in the second stanza that while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch. I kind of like that phrase, wondering love. That's worth thinking about a little bit. He says, oh, morning stars together proclaim the holy birth. I think he's referring to the angels again there. Uh, it's the angels that are called on to proclaim the message of Christ's birth. And in a world that doesn't get it, a world that's not hearing, a world that's not understanding that there's a Savior. Judgment is coming, 
There's hope in a deliverer. The same message that Micah was giving is the same message that needs to be heard today. And that's why we have passages such as this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul reminds you and me of the simple truth that we have been entrusted as proclaimers. In 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? Brand new person, a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And when I hear that word reconciliation, I think of my checkbook, where I'm trying to reconcile what I think I have in the bank and what the bank says I have in the bank, and I want to bring them into harmony, want to bring them into agreement. And so we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, privilege to introduce people to Jesus and bring them into harmony with their Creator. God the Father. He says he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us, that's you and me, the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so, again, it's just like it was at the time of Philip Brooks. Just like it was at the time that uh, he wrote this Christmas carol. People are unaware. People are ignorant. Uninformed. Don't know the truth. Don't get the full story. And there's a need for someone to proclaim truth. And so, in Philip Brooks' mind, it's the angels, represented by the stars. It's the angels that are proclaiming the story, proclaiming the message. And of course, you know the Christmas story, the shepherds got involved too. Um, yeah, if we had one more Sunday before Christmas, I'd probably be talking about those, those uh, shepherds. It's fascinating to me that Bethlehem, the Hebrew word, the word Bethlehem, means house of bread. And you go, oh, house of bread. So, Bethlehem is the house of bread. It's the place where Jesus was born. And in John chapter 6, after Jesus fed the 5,000, he stood and said what? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. And so Jesus was presented as the bread, the basic sustenance of life. I am the bread of life. Someone has said that evangelism, witnessing, sharing our faith, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And that's what's needed in our world today, isn't it? People need to know where to find bread. People need to know about Jesus. They need to know about His bread. And so, Philip Brooks, in his song, as I read these words and as I'm struck by them, People are uninformed, they miss what's going on, history's being made, prophecies being fulfilled, all their hopes and fears are come together and they don't know about it. There's a need for someone to proclaim the message, to tell the truth, to put the word out there. The same thing's true today. The third thing that impresses me in this song is the humble heart welcomes this heavenly gift. And he has this um, line in his song toward the end of the fourth 
or the third stanza was rather where meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ enters in the meek soul the one that's that's humble and as I thought about that I thought you know probably more than anything else that's the issue in the world in which you and I live for many people the problem is uh, an issue of pride in coming to a savior coming to accepting a, a gift of eternal life Philip Brooks couched it in terms of the, the meek soul I think of it in terms of uh, humility and he, he has phrases like this descend to us, enter in be born in us abide with us it's the, it's the humble heart that welcomes the message of Christmas it's the humble heart that says descend to us, come to us enter in and the other line in this song that I find interesting is cast out our sin, it's a humble heart that acknowledges and repents of sin the scripture says God is opposed to the proud but gives what? grace to the humble and so as I'm listening to Philip Brooks song as I'm listening to the words as I'm thinking about what he's saying I'm struck with the fact that you and I are called to proclaim the message that people are missing they're not getting it, they don't hear it they don't understand, they're singing the words they're decorating with even manger scenes but they don't get it Manger scenes are kind of in short supply this year. At least I drove my wife around the other night. We drove through the city uh, looking at uh, Christmas lights. And I saw lots of Santa Clauses, uh, lots of Sprosty the Snowman, man, a few mangers, manger scenes. It seems like they're getting fewer and fewer. But still, people oftentimes will put up a manger scene because that's tradition, right? Do they really get the message? Do they really get the story? This quiet event, this little town, this little significant place on the planet where history was made, somewhere, somehow, the message of this little town needs to be understood by people everywhere. Must be understood by people everywhere. Because again, in Micah's framework, judgment is coming, there's hope in a deliverer, and the message is what? Trust God now. And I think that's what God is calling us to do in the year 2020. A year where the Gallup poll says uh, those of us that go to church every week have better, better mental health than anybody else on the planet, right? There's a, there's a message there as I think about that. Opportunity for us to engage people, you know, find out how they're doing, how, how, what's their experience with all this, you know, uh, shutdown. I complain about stuff like, you know, last time they shut us down, I had just that week got my hair cut. And so I made it all the way through the whole first lockdown, got my hair cut when it finally opened back up. Well, now they locked down the day before I'm going to go get my hair cut. And so now, who knows how long this stuff's going to go. Um, you know, we complain about lots of these things. But how, how's your family doing? How are your neighbors doing? You know, how, how about the, the checker at the grocery store that you see? Um, 
your gardener, I don't know. Are we engaging people? How are they doing? How are they dealing with this? And maybe out of the context of a conversation like that, there's an opportunity to talk about the hope that's found in Jesus. Is that a possibility? I think so. And so as I thought about this, I kind of wound up at three places. One, I want to pay attention to the message, the words in this song. And, And that's just a good reminder to all the songs that we sing. Pay attention to the words. Words matter. Pay attention to the words. So first, pay attention to the message. Then respond to the message. And there's two responses to the message of O Little Town of Bethlehem. There's two responses. There's a response for us that are followers of Jesus. There's a response for us that know and love Jesus. And our response is to do like the angels did in his song. Do like the angels did in Luke chapter 2. And do what? Proclaim the message. Tell people the story. And then there's a second response for those that have not yet come to faith. There's a second response for those that have not yet come to know and and love Jesus and commit their lives to Him. And that's a response of, just like this song says, the meek soul calling on Jesus to forgive, cast out sin and enter in. So there's there's kind of those two responses to the, the message. Pay attention to the message, respond to the message, and then share the message. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. I love this song. I don't know about you, but I love this song. I love the message of the song. I love how it parallels the scripture. Um, It's a great, great song. And you and I live in just the weirdest and craziest of times, much different than the times in which Philip Brooks lived, certainly, right? But there's those similarities, a world that needs to know about Jesus. Those of us who are tasked, privileged to tell the story. And then that response of people that, with humility, put their faith and their trust in Jesus. The same thing today as it was back in his day. So where are you at this morning with this little town? Little town, big doings. Where are you at? Have you come to know Jesus? Is your faith and trust in Him? Do you have that sense that the hopes and fears of all the years have been met in, in your life through Him? And if so, then who needs to hear that message this week, this Christmas season? Maybe there's somebody you can invite to come to the carol thing tonight. Or come to church next Sunday. I don't know. But uh, there's, there's somewhere, somehow, that we are fulfilling that role of being the proclaimers. Let's do that well this Christmas season. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. The simple, simple truth of Scripture. That God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we're grateful this morning for that that first Christmas where you invaded history, fulfilled prophecy, brought hope to a needy world. Lord, remind us with grateful hearts and grateful spirits this morning in the midst of 
the, the COVID stuff and the lockdown and all this stuff. In the midst of all this, you're still our hope. You're still our Savior. You're still our King of Kings. You're still our Emmanuel, God with us. And we're grateful for that. As we celebrate Christmas this year, make us mindful, so very mindful, of the privilege, the opportunity we have of introducing others to the true meaning, the true story of Christmas. Help us to embrace that together is our prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And with us, why don't you stand and and let's just come to the manger and think about the child that's laying there and what he came to do for us and sing this song, What Child Is This? Facebook this week, you know, America's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. 
But uh, the good news is, uh, look who's come to the world. Yeah. And so we have, as I said, just that great privilege. Uh, come back tonight, dress warm. We're going to have a great time together. And if possible, bring someone along with you. Do that. We'll celebrate the Lord's birth together. God bless. Yeah.